Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, we're in a series called It's My Choice, and today we want to talk about it's your choice to include them. Them. You know, I I remember so well the first day of grade one. I remember, I don't know if you, as you look back over your shoulder in life, I can remember all these years later the the gut-wrenching anxiety in me as my mom dropped me off at a brand new school. I knew no one at the school. Samuel Samuel de Champlain, it was a French immersion school. I wasn't nervous about learning French. In hindsight, I should have been, but I wasn't. A brand new language to me. I wasn't even worried about how I was going to do in school. I, I felt such anxiety about whether they would like me whether I would be included, whether this freckled, red-headed kid would be liked by those around them. Where, where does that come from in us? This need to feel connection, this need to be included and accepted, where does that even come from? Well, you and I have been designed to be connected. And our first ancestors back in the Garden of Eden broke their connection to God and it had a trickle-down effect. And not only did they break their connection with their creator, but in turn, it put animosity between men and women. It broke our connection one to the other. It began to, all of a sudden, in the creation narrative, humans felt something they were never created to feel. Isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. So our world is filled with humans seeking a connection. But God doesn't leave us in this disconnected place. If you, you know the story that unfolds in Scripture. He sends his son Jesus to reestablish our connection to God, which is paramount and critical to being able to better connect with one another. And in God's providence, he creates this radical community, this radical redemptive community called the church. And the church was to be a family where anyone could belong. Where anyone could belong. And the Apostle Paul describes the the notes of this family in a letter he wrote to a church in Galatia. He said these words, in Christ's family, there can be no division. It's a pretty strong statement. Into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female, among us you are all equal. It's pretty interesting when you kind of tease this out because you realize that He's talking about no division between groups that were, in that culture, in that day and age, greatly divided. You didn't have Jews and non-Jews in the same sort of setting. They weren't allowed to be. Slave and free, men and women, these were things that kept people separated. So what changed? What changed that Paul can make this radical statement? Well, if you read on in the next verse, he says this. That is, we are all in a common relationship common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also since you are Christ's family. So in other words, it's not our biology 
that connects us. We don't find commonality is no longer just found in our biology or our ethnicity or our race or our education or our social background or social status in life or our employment status. Instead, we find commonality in Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus is what we now have in common. And friends, in a world that is increasingly divisive and exclusive, over and over, I'm praying for revival. Uh, not the type of revival that says, come join our church. Not the type of revival that says, make Canada a Christian nation. No, I'm praying for a revival of a renewal of love for Jesus and a renewal of Jesus' power in our lives to help us to live like Jesus. That's the type of revival I'm longing for, I'm praying for, for more of Jesus' love and more of Jesus' power in my life and in your life. See, over these last two years, my soul has increasingly become disappointed and dry and even cynical at times. Maybe you can relate to that, I don't know. I think there are a great many of us, even listening right now, who maybe are finding life deprived of hope and optimism is so depleted right now. And we, we find ourselves in a place that's becoming more divisive and more difficult. I've never led a church or a community in a more difficult or divisive season. I've been pastoring almost 30 years in April and I've never led through anything like this. And I've got to say as a pastor, it's deeply troubled me when I've seen people that I deeply love divide over politics and opinions, uh, reject each other over decisions, lifestyle decisions, uh, fight each other over theological differences. Including and accepting has never been more difficult. In fact, in this world right now, it's more like if you don't agree with me exactly, then you're against me. There's no nuance anymore. It's emphatic. There's statements. If you don't agree with me exactly, then you're against me. The pastor and author Max Lucado, he wrote this, and I thought it was very uh, prophetic in nature that it speaks into where we find ourselves. He said this, we are creatures of comfort and creatures of habit. We like the familiar and the predictable. We like agreement over conflict, peace over disruption. There are, these are the things that make us feel happy, content, and at rest. And all of these things are, are achievable as long as we only interact with people who are just like us. People who are part of the same political party, church denomination, ethnic group, or country. People who like what we like and dislike what we like. So we cloister. We insulate ourselves. How can we push beyond that tendency to include others? Well, this whole series is empowering because we're saying throughout this whole series, it's your choice. It's your choice if you want to sit at a small table or if you want to sit at a big table and include others. So I'm going to break our conversation into two sections today. I want to talk about including different Christians. 
This is a hostile territory these days. We're going to talk about what that means. And then including people who maybe don't even consider themselves Christians. Because we want to be the church, and the church was a place where anyone and everyone could belong. So let's talk about including different Christians first. Here's something we need to remember when it comes to Christians. Simply this. I didn't pick you, and you didn't pick me. God picked us both. So you might need to say that if you're watching with someone else. I didn't pick you. <laughs> you didn't pick me, but God picked us both. So the question for us is not, how, it's not like, are we going to get along? We're already in this together. It's how are we going to get along? How are we going to get along? I'm, I come from a large family, six siblings. I'm a middle kid. I couldn't be more different than many of my siblings, many of my siblings. But here's a fun fact. I didn't get a vote on who sat at our family table. My parents created us. We share the same DNA. And the same is true of the church or those who are followers of Jesus. We're never told in scripture biblically, we're never told to create unity. We're told to maintain unity, maintain unity. So fun fact number two, that if you're a follower of Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus, then I'm your brother and you're my sister. You don't get a vote on me being a follower of Jesus, your brother, I don't get a vote on you. I don't get a vote. God gets the final vote. We don't get votes on these things. The Apostle Paul says this, and in Romans chapter 15 would be a great read for you this weekend. If you get a chance to, to read it, or whenever you're viewing this, if you get a chance to read Romans 15, just sit down in one setting. Get a nice tall tea or coffee or something you can sip on, and just read Romans 15. One of the precious verses that just pop out there is verse 7, where Paul says this, Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ accepted you, so that God will be given the glory. So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can include people that are different than us? How can we get to a place where we accept people? And I'm thinking of Christians in particular, because of just the divisiveness that I see in the world today. When we divide denominationally, we divide theologically, we divide in social media. Well, I'm going to give you two kind of handlebars maybe to hold on to. The first is, I want to encourage you to reject the fortress mentality. We have a tendency to cluster together, as Max Licato pointed out, with people that act like us, look like us, talk like us, think like us. And that clustering creates a bit of a fortress mentality. We do it to protect ourselves. And really, it's easier, isn't it? It's just easier. We do it to protect ourselves and we do it to insulate ourselves. But at the heart of the fortress mentality is two things going on. Usually it's fear and it can be also fear and arrogance that's on display there. The fear comes from this idea that maybe if we get in community with others that might believe differently, act differently, uh, behave differently, hold on to different values, that somehow our distinctiveness or our orthodoxy would get watered down or, and or even polluted by doing that. And in Jesus' day, that was the Pharisees. They embodied that type of insecurity. Now, why do I call it an insecurity? Well, Pastor Keith talked about this a few weeks ago. He was talking about, our, Pastor Keith Smith is our teaching pastor, and he was talking about Sabbath keeping, and he's talked about how the Pharisees, this religious uh, leaders in Jesus' day, kind of elevated themselves to be the Sabbath police of their day. In fact, they added to that one command 613 other bricks to build this fortress. 
Think of the fear in that. The fear of breaking one command caused them to create 613 other commands. The fear of breaking that created all of that work. And I grew up in that type of Christianity. I grew up in a Christianity that had a lot of rules that I couldn't find a chapter or verse for. But they were all had the same intention. They were intended to keep the world out of me and me out of the world. Keep the world out of me. Why? Because it's polluted. To, you know, it's, it's ugly or it doesn't believe what we believe. And keep, keep, keep me out of that world. That's what it was designed to do. Now, here's the problem is that it didn't create confident Christians. It had actually the reverse effect. It created insecure and combative Christians. And insecure and combative Christians don't look a lot like the person of Jesus when you read about him in the gospel. And that fear didn't create greater inclusivity. It created cloistering. It created that tendency to cluster. It, t- it became more exclusive. So fear was one of the things that motivates us towards a fortress mentality. But arrogance can also be there. Arrogance like that we know what is right. Somehow our church is more right than another church. Somehow we've got the corner on the market of truth. Listen, the people, of all the people who should not be arrogant on this earth, it should be those of us who know that we've been saved by grace and grace alone. Of all the people that shouldn't be fueled by fear on this earth, it should be those of us that know that nothing can separate us from Jesus' love. Nothing can. Friends, maybe you're like me. We need to develop a deeper root system into the tree of humility so we can practice the spiritual discipline of kind disagreement. Kind disagreement. We don't all have to believe the same to come to this place of inclusion. See, I don't believe I'm being naive here. I don't think that this means that somehow we could sit at the same table and have the same conversation and not be deeply divided on issues and beliefs and theological ideology. I think we could have a lot of disagreement, but I do believe if we're going to do it in the way that Jesus models it, I think we can do it in a way that's generous in nature. We can do it in a way that's kind-hearted. We can do it with beautiful words We can do it in a way where we still love one another. See, if fear, if our faith is organized around fear or even some sort of arrogance or superiority, we will not be a church that envelops those values of mutuality and safety. We will become increasingly exclusive instead of being a community that can gather radically different people that are all focused around the main thing. What is the main thing? Well, it's not just rejecting the fortress mentality. It's also clarifying your big rock beliefs. Now, we talked about this before at One Church TL. But there are things that are worthy of us holding on to. But you notice if you're on social media or maybe stay off it for a season if you need to get away from some of the toxicity that can be embedded in it. But there are a lot of arguments and fights over things that are not big rock beliefs. They just aren't. End times, how the world's going to end, not a big rock belief. Uh, When it comes to charismatic theology and we're a Pentecostal church, not a big rock belief. When it comes to marriage and the family, not a big rock belief. When it comes to political leanings, not a big rock belief. Now, nobody 
stop the video right now or stop the feed right now and say, hey, Jonathan Smith doesn't believe in the value of family or end times or charismatic theology. No, listen, I'm not saying that none of those things aren't important. They're not uh, worthy of debate. They're not worthy of belief. What I'm saying is what is most essential? What's most essential to us being a follower of Jesus? Where can we find commonality? Well, you don't even need to guess about this. Paul actually tells us this. The Apostle Paul writes to a church that was largely divided among many issues. They were divided among charismatic theology and practice. They were divided around sexual practices. They were divided on many issues. And he kind of says this. He lands on this. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. Can you say those words out loud? Most important. Make sure you Just nail this down today. What is most important and what had also been passed on to me. So in other words, these important essential truths were passed on to Paul and he's talked about many theological truths to all the churches he would write, but he's going again reminding, but guys, 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 despite all that, here's what's most important. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, he was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. How can I include people in Christianity that believe different things than I do? Well, we have to realize what is at the core of our faith. Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection. And let everything else become a secondary, in secondary importance, a secondary issue. It's only when we do this that we can disagree agreeably. It's when we agree that the big rocks are the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I gotta say personally, this has simplified my Christian life because I can be in community with someone. I can be talking with things about very difficult issues, very difficult issues, but at the end, I I can still have love and respect and fellowship with people that I might have very differing views on certain issues, but we have nailed this down. This is central. This is what unites us. This is the commonality that Paul talked about in Romans that we have together in Christ. I I think the problem in our present age is that everything gets escalated. Have you ever noticed that everything, everything seems critically important. And we begin to develop a list of essentials that is not only unattainable, unrealistic, but in the end, if everyone was to believe all of your essentials as being essentially top-level big rock beliefs, you you might be in a community of one in the end. Uh, I think the difficulty in our age right now is clickbait theology. I want you to know, I hope you listen to other voices than myself or Pastor Keith or Pastor Jessica on our teaching team. I really do. Because, and I hope when you're uh, maybe on YouTube or TV or you're listening to a podcast, you're looking for people of, of different ethnicities and backgrounds and races and, and genders that you can begin to see the world because we all see the world a little bit differently and we'll approach scripture a little differently. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means I have a vantage point that's limited. All of us do. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to help us to see this. But please hear me. The more I dive into that world, the more I see what I call sensationally divisive teaching. Because it drives clicks. It drives engagement. It appeals to our biased beliefs. And even some of our base 
desires and wants. It appeals to that. And if you listen to them long enough, their anger starts to sound like a virtue. And before you know it, you're elevating all of these secondary issues to primary essential issues. And you're ready to end relationships with family members and churches and other things over things that are purely secondary issues. I was thinking about it this past week because in the news, I don't know if you caught this, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley spoke to the Georgia State House of Representatives. And if you go on YouTube, you can see his speech. It's pretty amazing. But in the middle of his speech, he said this. He said, those of you who pander to and foster division, you are terrible leaders. If you need an enemy in order to lead, you're a poor leader. Whew. <laughs> those are hard words, but those are actually true words, friends. True words. Beware of the voices that sow dissension and division. Beware of those that will elevate secondary issues to primary ones. Listen, all the issues I'm talking about, discuss them. Disagree, kindly disagree. Allow God's spirit to help shape truth as you enter into dialogue and conversation and debate. It's not the second and third and fourth level tier truths aren't important. They're very important. They're worthy of robust debate. They're worthy of discussion. They're worthy of our attention uh, for all the good in the world they could do. But don't elevate these secondary issues to primary issues, or you won't be able to include different Christians. Some of the people I hold most dear in my life and who have influenced me, whether authors, teachers, preachers, or Christians, have held those three essential things, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But we've disagreed on many other things, many other things. But I could still remain in relationship and fellowship and even mentorship and great respect for them. Friends, if you can nail this down, reject that fortress mentality. Don't live in a place of fear or arrogance or superiority. And in turn, you know, take that next step, next step and, and hold on to the big rock beliefs and then hold a little looser to the second, third, fourth ones. Debate them, lean in. You might have strong conviction around them, but don't allow your conviction to elevate them beyond where they should be. Then how do you include people who are not professing Christians or people that may never want to follow Jesus, people who have real problems with the church, uh, don't believe Jesus is God? How do you include them in your life? Well, here's the thing. If you've got those big rock beliefs that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, if they're primary in your life, if they're on the windshield of your life, that means that the supernatural is always on your dashboard. The supernatural. Because as Christians, we believe things die, people die. Things are buried. But we believe they don't stay that way. We, don't, we believe vehemently inside that they don't stay that way. They may be in the grave, but that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus brought us back to life. Jesus has resurrection power that goes into really dark and really dead places and does some incredible transformative work. Friends, the resurrection power, it's real. I wouldn't be doing this. I would not be doing this at all. There, there are other things I'm sure might be easier work in this life. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't not only believe it, if I hadn't seen it. 
Jesus' resurrection power at work. And I think this is why I always encourage us at One Church TO. I love the writings of Paul. I I love the stories of the Old Testament. I I love all, you know, Scripture is given to edify us, build us up, correct us, encourage us. But it's the Gospels I keep coming back to. I keep reading the words of Jesus in the life because jam-packed in the Gospels is so much incredible hope and radical inclusivity. The problem is, is I've been reading the Bible my whole life. So a lot of the accounts of Jesus, I, I kind of trip over in memory and they kind of lost their, their, their power sometimes because I need to see them with fresh eyes. But when you begin to unpack the person of Jesus and you see how the gospel, that radical inclusivity and love and hope that he lived out on full display. For example, just take the way he treated women. Jesus never denigrated women. Never, not once, ever did he denigrate women. Did you notice he included them? He even included them in, his, in the inner circle. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You notice how many times he teaches outside on the mountain hill. Why? Because women, if he was teaching inside the temple in the inner uh, courts, women weren't allowed there. He went to places that he made sure that they were going to be included. He refused to call them the names that his counterparts would have called them in that first century culture. He elevated them wherever he went. I mean, it was just so radical. I, and this is, this is my North Star as a leader. I want to shape my ministry and life around the person of Jesus, not, not the cultural or the sensational or the divisive, but the person of Jesus. You know, when I look around this world, and I think, see the groups or people being denigrated or villainized or, or typecast or dehumanized because we have a tendency of human, humans to, to group people together, put a label on them, and then we have a tendency to make a judgment about a whole group of people. And when we do that, we, we keep them out and we keep them down. You, you look at how Jesus treated the Samaritan woman in Scripture. How he loved her how he positioned himself at the well, knowing he knew she was coming. He knew things about her no one knew. And he waited for her. And he treats her with such love and respect, with both grace and truth. When you see how he treats the woman who's caught in adultery, and talk about, oh my goodness, talk about sexism. Where's the guy in that whole story? Where's he? He's not even anywhere to be seen. But Jesus stands up before her and protects her. And he says these words, no one condemns you, neither do I condemn you. What a word. My friends, on every page of the gospel, those types of grace-filled, hope-filled, life-giving words flow from the person of Jesus. Even his challenging words that are hard, the difficult ones, the teachings that make us pause and they're all life-giving. They're hope-giving. They're, they're radically life-transformative when we put them into practice. I mean, what is the message of Christ? The message is this. It's to step out of our life and into the world. It's to step out of our life and into the world. Could you imagine if Jesus had not stepped out of his world and he who became flesh and dwelt among us No, no, as Christ gets into us and works through us, he calls us to step out of our life and into this world to include people that may never follow him, to rub shoulders with the broken, the hurting, and the powerful in this world, 
to allow them to see the grace and goodness of God at work in and among us. In a moment, I'm gonna pray with you. But I imagine here, there are probably some people listening and you're thinking like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, it, it may go along the narrative like, you don't know the type of life I live. You don't understand how complicated I am. You don't understand how complicated my life is right now. You don't understand what I've done, where I've been, what I've experienced. You don't understand what I'm presently doing. And you might be thinking, like, it's just crazy to even think about coming to a person like Jesus, a, a savior. Why would I turn to him? Uh, if I get my life shined up a little bit, then maybe I can show up to church. <laughs> if I get my life uh, cleaned up a little bit, maybe then I could actually maybe pray to Jesus. Maybe, maybe then he'd welcome me. And here's what I'd like to say to you if that's you. You don't need to hide. Uh, you don't need to hide. You're among people that understand that life has a way of beating us all up. And you may look very polished on the outside, but, but we don't buy that around one church, T.O. We, we believe even if you're polished up on the outside, there's something rotting on the inside of all of us. We're all broken. We're all in need of Jesus, every one of us. And if you'd allow me for a minute, I'd tell you the story of Christ. The story of a man who was nailed to a cross and crucified. And next to him were two thieves. One of them in particular lived such a vile life, he deserved to be on that cross. And in the opening moments of that story, as you read it in the pages of the gospel, he, he's with the other thief, kind of mocking Jesus as he's hanging on this cross, but something changes in this thief. He has a change of heart, and he says to Jesus, could you remember me when, I, when you come into your kingdom? And Christ said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is one of my favorite accounts in all the gospels. Because you know, you know how much that thief understood about the gospel? I mean, this is such a good news story, friends. Such an amazing moment. Do you know how much he knew about Jesus or understood about who he was? He had a hunch. He didn't know much. He hadn't been exposed much. But he had this hunch that maybe this man hanging next to him had a solution for the miserable life he had led. And he had just had a hunch and he reached out to him. Listen, I love it. Why did Jesus save him? This man wasn't going to be a leader in the church. This man wasn't going to write a check to the church. This man wasn't going to be going around the world healing people and being a part. He, he was going to die in this moment. Why would Jesus reach out and allow this thief to come into the, his kingdom? I love it. It's such a picture of the gospel. It's the value system of Christ on full display. Here is this man, this vile thief, and he's the first sheep. He's the first to be rescued. He's the first benefactor. He precedes all the priests and pastors and super Christians. He's the first one in. First one into the kingdom. The first benefactor. It's a crook. It's a thief. It's a man who's lived his life wildly and, and, and vacant of God. And he says to Jesus on the cross, any chance you put a good word in for me? And Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, when you grovel enough, when you get cleaned up enough, then you can come in. And Jesus says what he says to us now. Come on in. Come on in. 
and I'll clean you up and I'll put you back together again. How can we not include people different than us? How can we not include people far from Jesus when we too are no better than that thief on the cross? And Jesus says, come on in. Let me pray with you. Jesus, I thank you, God, for your life example. That you didn't leave us in our place of disconnectedness, but you made a way that we could not only come back to God the Father, but in reconciling ourselves to him, we are now able to reconcile ourselves one to the other. So God, I firstly pray for anyone who's listening right now, who maybe they're struggling uh, they've cloistered. They're in a fortress mentality. They're kind of locked down and they've elevated secondary issues, the prime issues. And there's just a lot of conflict going on in their life. And maybe it's not even tangible in their life, but it's going along around in their soul. It's going around in their mind. Would you quiet their souls and minds right now? And would you help them to get a picture of what it means to raise Jesus up so that people could Look to him instead of all these secondary things. God, I pray for peace in homes, peace in social media arenas, peace in family reunions and conversations. And in this divisive time in the world, may the church be a refuge of unity and peace and love and respect. May we learn the spiritual practice of kindly disagreeing. Uh, agreeing, disagree, disagreeing agreeably, God. May the fruit of the Spirit not get sacrificed to win an argument. But may we be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, God. And then if you were listening there, and maybe you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe church is troubling a little bit to you. Maybe, maybe God's a, a, a little bit of a... a, a a conundrum to you. You're not quite sure. And maybe your own life keeps you at a place where you're going like, I don't know. I'm not that type of person. I hope you hear tonight, today that, that what is that type of person? If you're someone that's willing to say, Jesus, you know, I, I have a hunch here that maybe you, you might be the solution. Then I'd invite you to pray just like that, that thief on the cross did just along with me. Jesus, would you welcome me into your kingdom? Would you clean me from the inside out? Forgiving me of everything that I've done that has harmed others, hurt myself, or, or put a barrier between you and me? Would you fill me with your spirit? I want to be like you. And would you be the leader of my life? Help me to navigate my relationships. Help me to navigate my life choices and decisions so that with every day increasingly, I might look more like you. And if you said that prayer with me, you can just simply say, amen, which means so be it. Amen, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.